welcome back to Coffee, Cows, and Crops. The team over here at the Peace Country Beef and Forge Association hope you had a good Christmas and New Year's. I'm your host, Shelby Dillman, and I'm excited to introduce you to one of my great new friends. <laughs> this is a bonus season, and it's going to be a series of episodes dedicated to our new partnership with Yasir and Lulu at Vivigrow Sustainable Solutions, based out of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. They're big supporters of the PCBFA and have a wealth of knowledge on soil health and regeneration. I think this will be a great series because it'll get you thinking. We're going to be discussing some common misconceptions, myths, and mistakes when it comes to soil health today. So it's always fun to have special guests to chat with us and their take on things really resonates with me and they have a good holistic approach. So this will be a good one. I met Ysir and Lulu a couple months ago at a soil health seminar at Gordondale, Alberta. So that's just out towards the BC border between Spirit River and Baytree. And a couple years back when I was taking my environmental reclamation at Olds College, the soil class was probably one of my most favorite classes. And I might be a little bit biased. <laughs> Maybe it was because our instructor Nikki Cook is amazing and she made it so fun and she really broke things down so we could understand it and she's super supportive. So I was really excited to go take part in this seminar. Um, what I learned at the college was honestly a little bit different than what we have going on with ag to a degree because I was mostly oil field and I still go out to old lease sites and contract myself to Questar Geomatics to do assessments for reclaiming purposes. So it's usually like take soil profiles and I'm still learning the ag stuff. And there's kind of a funny joke. So I used to get razzed by my rodeo friends for being in a dirt class <laughs> because I used to run barrel horses. And there's a joke that barrel racers always complain about the ground. They're notorious about the dirt. But luckily, I wasn't a complainer and I prefer to call myself a breakaway roper anyways. I digress. I'm going to be completely vulnerable here for a second. I was never super book smart in grade school. Or the three times I went back to college, obviously. <laughs> so the sciencey and really wordy stuff goes over my head. And when I was at that soil health seminar, the way that Yasir and Lulu explained things totally made sense to me. It was easy to follow and it clicked. So this is really useful knowledge and they're great presenters. We're going to hop on Zoom here shortly and get a meeting underway here with Yasir to get to today's introductory episode. We're going to get that going. Um, fun fact, Yasir actually had uh, told me a bit more information about my bull. So I got this Brahmin bull and his name is Radar. <laughs> and I showed Yasir a picture of his bull. And this is how we like really clicked. He got excited. I was talking to another producer. I'm like, yeah, I got this exotic bull and it's a Brahmin. And Yasir picked up and wanted to see pictures. So I showed him and it turns out my bull is mostly Red Cindy, so that's um, a district of Yasir's home country and we're going to get a bit into that a bit more here later. So that was really cool. He used to raise Brahmin with his family and so that was a lot of fun. So Yasir loves radar, heck everyone loves radar. <laughs> let's see what Yasir has to say. Um, let's hop online here. Hey Yasir, how are you today? I'm very good. How are you, Shelby? 
Good, staying warm. How about you? <laughs> well, it's pretty cold here, but uh, trying to stay warm. That's good. Um, should we get started on some of these questions? This should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. So am I. All right, first question. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and Vivigrow? Well, uh, very briefly, I am originally from Pakistan. I grew up in a very, very rural community in Pakistan. I practically grew up with natives in the very south of the country who practiced very old fashioned techniques in farming, uh, mainly slash and burn farming method. So I learned and I acquired a lot of uh, knowledge growing up with the native people. And I think that's a very unique opportunity that I got exposed to. Uh, from the very beginning, growing up on a farm, and like yourself, I ran a Brahma cattle operation uh, with 1,200 heads of cattle. It was sizable. And we were the top breeders of Brahma cattle in the country, top breeders. And we used to produce dairy and beef cattle. And the challenge was that with very little rain, how to produce and how to meet the forage requirement of such a big herd. And that was the real challenge. So I started to look into sustainable practices. Uh, I'm not a big fan of uh, chemical way of growing because I believe it offers you a short-term approach rather than a long-term approach of building the soils. So organic matter was a challenge. Good water was a challenge. Uh, fighting extreme clay was a challenge in some areas. Uh, fighting uh, salt was a problem. And having the opportunity of uh, having my father as a mentor in real life. And he was a chemist and a chemical engineer. So I learned a lot from him. And combining the practices of the native people and the learning that was imparted to me with my uh, through my father, you know, I really, it dawned upon me that there's a different way of growing versus just chemical farming. And as I went, ventured more and more into the realm of true sustainable farming, I discovered that, you know, I believe people who are farming with the straight chemical fertilizer, they are farming wrong. And it is having a colossal impact upon our health, upon our soil, upon our animals, and upon our, uh, upon the whole planet. So this is a brief history of where I come from. My mind is heavily organic. I am very concerned about food safety and food security. And I'm extremely concerned about uh, the repercussions or reactions of our actions on uh, various ecosystems. Hence, combining my skill sets, I ventured into sustainable farming. And uh, VV Grow practically is a result of how I grew up. And VV Grow is a company that creates fertilizer solutions that I can assure you are not offered by anybody in North America. It's a unique product. It is designed based on customer soil conditions and almost every product is customized. And yet the beauty is 
despite the fact that it is so unique, it is still affordable. And that comes because of the sourcing out that we do and the exclusive relationships that we have all over the world with suppliers of unique ingredients that are not used in North America by anyone. So that's what we are. I love it. That resonates with me. And the first time I met you and Lulu, that was like, that was such a good day. I loved it. <laughs> I love what you guys have to yeah. share with everyone. So that's a lot yeah. of fun. Thank you. Uh -huh. Question number two, crop producers are a large part of your demographic, but do you have or do you accommodate livestock producers too? Can they tune in to benefit their pasture maintenance from this podcast series as well? Uh, very good question. Uh, I come from a background where I believe as a core, core belief that crop farming by itself is not the way the creator intended farming to be done. Farming should always be done through a mixed farming concept. I deduce or derive all my inspiration from observing nature and spending time alone. That's what I do. I'm a bit of a hermit and uh, I like to, you know, ponder, think very deeply. And when you see nature, you know, Nature gives chance to grasses and crops and natural vegetation to grow. Then animals come in herd and they don't stick at one place, they move. And when they move, they don't trample the soil. They come harvest an area in a short period of time, do grazing and move on. When we do chemical farming alone, then the aspect of the droppings of animal falling onto the ground is not there, number one. Number two, even if we have manure, then how much of an area can be manured, right? And now with modern farming, which is primarily no-till farming, we, if we are not adding organic matter in any form, either through applied methods, which is manuring, or through sequestration from the air or from the elements, which is carbon sequestration. If we are not doing that, then we are technically going backward. So to answer your question, uh, farming, a lot of my farmers actually have our cattle herders. They have cattle, right? And it's not a secret. A substantial percentage of our farm base is uh, uh, Hutterites and Amish people because I resonate with their mindset, right? Their mindset is to live off the ground and hence. So we have a lot of farmers who have a variety of cattle and animals. And what we do is we mimic conditions through our products and application methods that force the soil and crops into believing that even if organic matter is not being applied through external sources like cattle or through active sequestration, we create those conditions that the soil is actually forced to believe that there is carbon sequestration and organic matter accumulation happening. And so, Absolutely. People who don't have 
people who have a lot of cattle and have pastures and hay grounds and are struggling, we can help them in ways which only time can prove. They are unique and there are not a lot of companies that can actually do what we do. Right. Yeah, no, that really resonates. And I feel like the direction things are kind of going in the world, I think once more people kind of get on the same wavelength or kind of hop on the same bandwagon, I think there's going to be some big changes and it's going to be super beneficial. Yeah, you know, Shelby, a lot of people are talking about carbon sequestration, but I personally believe not even a half a percent of those people actually understand what carbon sequestration is, how carbon sequestration is related to environmental change and environmental degradation. And if we won't fix the environment, no matter what we do, carbon sequestration is not possible, number one. Okay. Number two, the input, the current selection of inputs we have to grow staple crops and forage crops with continuing with those inputs and with that kind of farming, we are minimizing the opportunity of carbon sequestration. The whole life cycle, besides the spiritual part of our life, revolves around CN ratio, carbon to nitrogen ratio, right? And in our farming, there is no regard for carbon. So carbon is the founding pillar of bodily life, either in plants or animals and humans. And if we will not take care of the carbon, we will only go backwards. Right on. That is a really good way to put it. That helps people, I think, understand because there's so much to it. And I try to read up on it a little bit to get caught up. I'm like, wow, there's a lot more to this yeah. than <laughs> even realize. <laughs> These are very deep subjects. And, you know, in 20, 30 minutes or one hour, you know, to do justice with it, you cannot go into the deep details. Yeah. So the message is, the current way of farming, as you very rightly said, is not sustainable. It will not last. Uh, phosphates are a diminishing resource. Potash is a diminishing resource. If I tell you something, you might be surprised. The EC, the electrical conductivity of ocean continues to rise. Why it continues to rise? Because more and more leachates, leach chemicals and minerals are running into our oceans right, right. so we are even we are even making our oceans uh, non hospitable for life and that's why fish population in the gulf of mexico is going down at an alarming rate coral reefs are dying why are they dying because the millions of tons of fertilizer the world uses eventually ends up in the ocean right and as the fertilizer runs to the ocean or to the waterways, what does it carry with it? Carbon. So we have to learn to farm with carbon rather than focusing only on NPK. Right. It's not a sustainable thing what we are doing. And in my view, in some places, it's already too late. However, you know, as an optimist, it's never too late. That's and, a good, yeah. <laughs> and, and we I have like to that. focus... We have to focus on the social responsibility part of farming rather than just, uh, you know, thinking of an input-output ratio that I put in $10, so I should get $40 out. Mm -hmm. You know, farming cannot be done in a long-term way uh, using 
this mindset. Right. Good. Good. Um, number three, what are the top three most common soil problems you've had to solve? Okay. I would say uh, if I have to put the three things in one word, then that word to understand is called ability to understand abiotic stress. Right. Biotic stress is a stress that comes from within the body. But abiotic stress is a stress that comes from the elements. So ability to sustain drought, people who are farming with pure chemical high input rate, when drought comes in, their crops collapse in no time. Okay. While the sustainable counterpart is able to fight the heat stress or drought stress for an extra one month. Right. Hmm. People who are using 140 pound of applied N, 140 pound of applied N versus farmers who have been with us for 10 years, they only use 60, 70 pounds of applied N. There is 100 pound difference or 80 yeah. pound difference in N. Right? So how come our farmers are able to produce a heavier grain, 12, 13% heavier? And there's a term in uh, farming in the farming community, which is called producing chicken feed, right? <laughs> so when yeah. heat when heat drought comes in, heat and drought come in, the highest input crops turn into tiny grains, which are termed as chicken feed. Right. But, yeah. But just across the border, we with less inputs produce not just more bushels, a heavier crop but also a marketable crop. So that is our uniqueness. So to understand abiotic stress and the three challenges, if I have to summarize, I will say three challenges are crops do not have the ability to survive stress, number one. Number two, the biomass under the ground, which is root mass, is unable to accumulate organic matter in the soil for the long-term survival. And number three, the mineral fertilizer application methodology. I hate to say this, but being a black and white person who doesn't live in the gray, in my view, a massive majority, I don't want to say 99%, but a massive majority does not know what to apply, how much to apply, or how to interpret a soil report, right? right so yeah. if you don't understand a soil report, you can never plan a proper fertilizer management program. And once wrong inputs are put in the soil, then there's no turning back. Then we have to keep using band-aids to fix the problems. 100%. I totally, yeah, I totally understand that. Um, so when I did livestock nutrition, so it's even mm -hmm. quite similar to when I get a feed sample, like a hay sample back for horses. And when people ask me, what can I change in my horse's diet? Yeah, that mm -hmm. it all kind of comes together. <laughs> all comes together. And Shelby, you mentioned horses and animal diet. I'll quickly say one thing. Mm -hmm. People who are growing grain and produce or hay on our program, 
across the board, without exception, they all say the same thing. They said there's something very unique about the feed because animals are more relaxed, our medicine use has gone down, and the number that I hear across the board that eight to 10% less feed seems to be doing more than 10% more. And they cannot understand scientifically because our feed is more holistic. For yep. example, typical barley is around 47, 48 pound. Our barley weighs 57 pound, right? So there's extra nine, 10 pounds in the same bushel. Typical wheat weighs 60, 62, 59 pound. Our wheat weighs 69 to 70 pound, right? Where is that extra 10 pounds coming in a bushel? Yeah. That is all health. Those are all carbohydrates. Those are all sugars. And once the animal is fulfilled, nature is designed not to overconsume. The only thing in nature which is designed to overconsume is humans. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that so. is really fascinating because um, I know, so with my horse, my ranch horse, he's become really, really sick and I had to send some blood tests out and we don't know how or where he got sick. And so working with animals over the past many years, I've noticed it's a lot of like environmental kind of variables that are kind of making them sick. So yeah, that's really cool to hear. I, I love that. That's great. Yeah. Uh, number four, what is the largest myth or misconception that producers seem to be really hung up on around soil health and management? Or what are a few things that like really stand out? Uh, deep question, but with a simple answer. The whole philosophy of so many pounds of applied N are needed to grow a marketable crop, it is a myth. It's a complete myth. I think because, that's my favorite one too. <laughs> yeah, because Shelby, you know, a very big portion of nitrogen that we apply is lost. Bulk of it is volatilized and a small portion of it also leaches out depending on what part of or what region you are in. So if you are applying 200 pounds of urea, you are getting close to 100 pounds of N, actual N at 46%, right? Just a little less than 100 pounds of actual. So, but if you look at the, uh, the, the global fertilizer numbers, efficiency of urea is only 54%, right? So right. if we apply 200 pounds, out of 200 pounds of urea, if you're getting 100 pounds of N, then out of that 100 pounds, 50 pounds is actually going back to the elements. And when it goes back to the elements, it disrupts the ecosystem. So the biggest myth is the heavy dependence on chemical fertilizers. The second biggest myth is that you have to use pest control products. Pest control products are, are seriously overused. There's a lot of people who cannot understand how to link soil health to plant health. And if your soil health is poor, your plant health will be poor, right? So if you are able to, through very smart and very economical methods, if you are able to handle your plant health, you will understand that 
plants will not require as much pesticide products. I'm not saying pesticides are to be banned or anything. Right? That's an extreme statement. However, just like chemical fertilizers, there's a massive overuse of pesticides. So that's myth number two. And the myth number three comes with, I would say in modern farming, uh, uh, variable weighting. I know it's a sensitive subject and it's a politically uh, sensitive subject, but the whole myth of variable weighting is, is designed around, uh, what should I say, uh, you know, digital technology. I think it's a tool to make more money. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with making good money, but money should be made ethically. But to design your whole system on variable rating without understanding the long-term dynamics of the soil, variable rating will go and tell you to put maximum nitrogen in areas where the structure is poor. For example, if you go in a, in a mountain top, or not a mountain top, sorry, on a hill top or a slope where there is no nitrogen left, the variable rating will tell you to go and unload yeah. maximum nitrogen. Now, those areas are already areas which have carbon sequestration problem, which have structure problem, which have nutrient and moisture holding capacity problem. And now on top, you are going and contaminating those areas over and beyond the soil health can take. So you are actually going backward. Variable rating is a myth. I'm not saying don't do EC charting. It's called EC plotting or EC charting of your soil. Do it, but don't rely 100% on variable rating. Yeah. How variable rating intervals are created, that is also uh, must be understood before we adopt variable rating, right? So right. variable rating is a tool that can be used, but majority of people are using it wrong. So in my view, the three myths are dependence on chemical fertilizer. Number two, preconceived use of pest control products, that if you won't do it, this won't happen. For example, without taking names, all canola seed comes treated with two chemicals and you pay over $100 a bag more for that canola seed, right? Yeah. But despite of those two treatments, everybody goes out and sprays pesticides which were supposed to be controlled by that seed treatment. So why are we doing that seed treatment if it yeah. is not controlled, right? So these are, so pest control, fertilizer understanding, and variable rating. I think these are the three biggest myths. That's good. I think that's going to give a lot of people a lot to think about. And I think we've got their attention now. <laughs> so this is great. Uh, I hope so. I'm not here to condemn anyone or God forbid to, you know, uh, uh, malify anybody's. Uh, but I, 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 the way I grew up, I speak the truth and nothing but the truth. And I want to tell very openly the way we are farming, it's not going to last. Right. And that's one of my most favorite things about you and just like your look. And I feel like a lot of people, even just like day-to-day life, people are just so conditioned and so used to how things are done that I think this is going to spark a lot of interest. So this is really great. 
And I'm here to help. Whoever wants to come and get help, I'm here to help. Yeah, and they could bring, um, I remember at the seminar, the workshop, some of the guys brought their soil tests in and we went through that. So that was really helpful. That was really great to see it up on the screen and you went through every single column. And that was, that totally made and, sense to me. And, and I believe we spoke for 11 hours and still people <laughs> didn't want to. <laughs> could have been there for 24 tough. hours. That would have been a good, yeah, I could have had a, a long one, yeah. Um, number five, what is the simplest part of soil health or soil management? Okay, the it's a, it's a very broad question. What is the simplest part of uh, soil management? Or yeah, the health or health or management. Health or management. So maybe something people like really overthink. Uh, Sorry, but I'm not sure I'm I, I'm getting the question. Uh, uh, soil, uh, like the simplest part of soil management? Yeah. In terms of application or in terms of understanding? Um, probably application. Yeah. I think the simplest part of of soil management is to learn to trick the soil into not giving up but working with the technology the way we are farming nature you know nature is very discreet nature is very uh, uh, very docile if you try to overpower it it will let you overpower itself right and it will shut itself down that's how it operates right if there is too much traffic in a forest wildlife will migrate right but right. if we leave the forest wildlife will come back soil is like that too so i think we have to we have to learn that we get one or two opportunities to put fertilizer in a year and we should understand the use of amendments along with fertilizer in a package that is a one-shot solution to your entire 120 days or 125 days of growing of growing period. So I think that is something which can be understood pretty quick if mm -hmm. people go through the class and if people understand what soil analysis and soil analysis interpretation means. So right. I, I, I don't know if I answered your question, but it was a... Uh, yeah, that was good. Yeah, I like that. Last one. What is your favorite quote when getting the point across about soil health? My favorite quote? Uh, well, you got me there. Uh, uh, <laughs> You know, soil health, I, I would believe, I, I, I would say that, you know, the quality of your production is only as good as the understanding of your soil input requirements. That's what I would say. Right. Quality of your produce, which includes ability to fight the stress, ability to produce high feed value, ability to 
increase organic matter in the soil. It is all dependent on your understanding of the quality of inputs you can provide based on your soil requirement. And a majority of people do not understand soil requirements. That's the sad fact. We are all farmers. The, the thing on which we should be focusing the most on is understanding soil analysis. And yeah. people don't understand. So they are reliant upon general vague recommendations based on an area or faulty, I would use the word, faulty conceptions of what are the nutrient requirements by a crop you know, without taking mm -hmm. into consideration their local geography. Right. right. Yeah. For example, in the peace region where you have a problem with low pH, 5.2, 5.3, 4.9, high hydrogen ion and super low pH, inability of the soil to raise the pH, right? And the, yep. if the pH is not being corrected, then the soil will stay sick for a long time. And when the soil is sick, its other functions will not happen, right? Like building yeah. of organic matter, correction, movement between 0 to 6 and 6 to 12 inches, building of microbial life. None of that will happen if you don't fix your pH. So people use ammonium sulfate, right? Which is a highly yeah. acidic fertilizer. And its ability to leach is 100%. Mm -hmm. So why are people using ammonium sulfate in high quantities, you know, in those soils? Ammonium sulfate burns organic matter. Ammonium sulfate leaches. It further reduces the pH. And as you continue to reduce the pH more and more and more, you know, it is harder and harder for the soil pH to come back. So if you are trying to farm and grow barley and your pH is 5.1 and you are only concerned about NPK, Good luck. It's not going to solve. You will always have ergot. You will always have disease. You will never create a root, big root biomass. And yeah. you know what? Uh, growth under the ground. Maybe I should say this. You ask me for the best quote. Growth under the ground should come first before big growth over the ground. Because the bigger the growth under the ground, better the crop above the ground. I like that. <laughs> totally makes sense. That's great. So uh, I was just wondering, what are you going to touch on in our next segment? So this was just kind of an introduction. Um, do you have any any little bit of a prelude to our next meetup? Uh, I would suggest before the next meetup, we maybe uh, set a few questions or maybe ask your audience, ask your audience. Okay. To, to throw in random questions, right? And yeah. we pick four or five questions based on how much time we have, and we will address questions. You know, I would love to go more into soil chemistry and soil analysis, but you cannot do that on a podcast. You know, yeah, it's so tough. It has to be done in a room, in in right. in a one-to-one presence. But I would say, if the audience they like what they're hearing, then maybe they should get back to you throw in questions and I'd be happy to answer their questions okay. in the most practical way I can. That'd be so fun because then it gets more like just more interactive. Um, yeah. 
with people and like just more engagement and that's what i'm really trying to strive for so that's I, a good idea i like that i want people i want to leave uh, the audience with one thought and that one thought is you know a pine tree on top of a mountain is as robust as a pine tree in the valley what is it that's moving the nutrients from the valley to the top and from the top to the valley right in in a soil with only four or five inches of organic matter, not organic matter, four or five inches of real soil and underneath is a stone, right? But yet your pine trees survive, the conifers and all that, they survive. What brings the natural tundras back into lush vegetation every year, right? Who is going out and applying 200 pounds of urea per acre over there? Nobody, right? right. They survive in a perfect balance. And it is absolutely crucial for farmers to understand how to achieve that balance in their soils and minimize dependence on inputs, no matter what they are, right? So yeah. it's, a, it's a journey, it's a pathway, just like as we age, we mature more, right? Mm -hmm. And then our requirements change, right? Yeah. Our intellectual objectives, intellectual objectives change. So learn to understand what is the pathway to 10-year health building of the soil versus only producing a crop in this year. Focus on that 10 years. Perfect. No, that sounds great. Awesome. Well, we're going to wrap up this little portion of our great. chat and I'll be in touch with you and we'll chat again soon. Very nice to talk to you and God bless to all. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Take care. We'll catch you later. Bye-bye. Yeah, well, I hope we piqued your interest in some great content yet to come. Grab a pan and a paper and be ready to tune in next time as Yasir answers questions from our listeners. Like what you hear? I'll give you a sneak peek into the future, <laughs> what we've got uh, next on our list of events. So Yasir and Lulu will be joining us to speak at the Peace Beef Cattle Day in Grimshaw, Alberta at the Legion on February 9th. Doors open at 10 a.m. Come and meet them, listen to some other great speakers in our lineup, and socialize with producers. While we're on the topic of upcoming events, be sure for an exclusive ladies-only Northern Women in Ag event happening in Fairview on January 19th. A full day of speakers, learning workshops, and some local vendors to keep you busy. We also have two grant and EFP workshops coming up in February. One out by Hines Creek at the David Thompson Hall on the afternoon of Monday, February 5th. Doors open at 4.30. And then again a couple days later at the Value Egg Society Hall. Um, that's going to be on the afternoon of Wednesday, February 7th. Doors open at 4.30 as well. So it is advised to touch base with us to register um, or purchase early tickets to secure your spot. There are meals lined up and we just like to take a head count. Um, admission is also available at the door by means of cash or check only. So we really hope to see you there. And uh, like Yasir said, we'd like to answer questions from our listeners for our soil series because it just kind of gives more of a broad range of things to talk about and 
he just likes to hear like what the producers have to say and what kind of questions if you've got any burning questions he'd love to answer them so we find that's the best way to do it so if you'd like you can email me your question at shelby that's s-h-e-l-b-y at p-c-b-f-a dot c-a so shelby at p-c-b-f-a dot c-a and submit your questions doesn't matter how long they are or how in depth so we'd like to hear from you and we hope to see you there 